David Wright, Sister Angie Wright, we love them very much. We are uh, blessed people uh, with the uh, people that God has put over us in uh, leadership. Amen. God is so good, isn't he? I want to say uh, thank you to uh, Brother Middleton, Isaac Middleton, and Brother Mike McGurk for their uh, participation in uh, this series and uh, all that they uh, was, uh, amen, that's uh, very appropriate. Uh, in my business travel, I was able to listen to both of them. Thank you to the media, media ministry, was able to uh, listen to both uh, sessions, even though that I was out of town uh, from both of them, and uh, it was a really uh, great flow and rich uh, information, rich word that was in there. If you uh, missed either one of those sessions, you would do well to go back and, and uh, spend some time with the word. Amen. All right. Praise God. Well. Okay, all right. Uh, good to have my family here. It's good to be home uh, on a Thursday night, sleep in my own bed, and, uh, and nobody be sick. Y'all pray the strength of the Lord that uh, nobody pees, pukes, or poops in my bed tonight, and uh, amen. All the parents said amen. All the soon-to-be parents said you have no idea. <laughs> Praise the Lord. All right, I'm going to, uh, we're, we're going <laughs> to, we're going to turn our attention to, it's okay to laugh in church, and y'all, we'll get to all that, uh, but uh, it's all right, all right to have a little laugh at church. Uh, if you would, Mr. Media, if you would turn to Hebrews chapter 6. And uh, verse 1, I want to start there, and I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I, so th- this is for my benefit, right? The next 20 seconds about what I'm going to say is for my benefit. I have a proclivity uh, due to various things, but I have a proclivity to plumb the depth of a subject. And for those of you that have sought counsel from me or uh, had a... Uh, a uh, conversation that you thought was just going to be a couple of minutes uh, in a sidebar or whatever, uh, I, I apologize, but that's just the way, that's just the way that I am, uh, and that's ha- kind of how I'm wired. So I'm going to tell you right now that there is no way that I'm going to be able to plumb the depth of all of this, and I know that, okay? And so I'm going to just knock the tops off of, of, of probably about maybe 20 hours of teaching uh, hopefully in about an hour, okay? <clears throat> and so you help me in that you understand that I'm not diving deep on all of this. We'll leave it to the Lord and Pastor Wright if we want to start, uh, you know, uh, classes on Sunday afternoon like we did to dive a little deeper. Uh, but uh, like I said, that 20 seconds is for me. Now I can move on and move past trying to go deep on uh, a couple of things. Amen? All right, so uh, the ultimate goal for tonight, and we've got a lot of wood to chop to get there, is uh, Hebrews chapter 6, verse 1. 
The Bible reads, therefore, leaving the principles of the doctrine of Christ, let's go on unto perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptism and of laying on of hands and of resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. And uh, in particular, we're going to try to get to, uh, at some point tonight, the doctrine of laying on of hands. Amen. Uh, Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. Thank you for your goodness, your mercy. God, I pray that the spirit of revelation uh, would be in this place. Let your word be mixed with faith, that it would profit your people individually, that it would profit this body, that it would profit this, this church, profit this county. In Jesus' name, we give it all to you, God. Everybody said amen. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated. Thank you. Uh, so let me begin by saying this. Uh, the doctrine of the laying on of hands has its roots in Jewish custom, okay, uh, as well as other, several other fundamental doctrines uh, listed in Hebrews chapter 6. Uh, the Holy Ghost listed the doctrine of laying on of hands to the scattered Hebrew tribes here um, because they were familiar with this Old Testament application of laying on of hands. Now, uh, we, I think, in, ch- in our church culture, maybe don't have the same understanding or the same uh, experience with laying on of hands that the Jewish culture had whenever this teaching was, was uh, put forward. And by that I mean in the Old Testament, the laying on of hands was used to, to generally impose generational blessing and wisdom upon a recipient. Uh, it was also the means in which the promise and covenant of God with, made with Abraham to bless his seed was passed down. So we know that from uh, New Testament application that that's what, we, that's what we tend to think of when we think of laying on of hands, is that when we, uh, when we place our hand on someone's forehead or otherwise that there is going to be uh, an impartation of the promise of Abraham. Amen? That makes sense? Uh, but, but, but more so than that, it's a much broader term in the Hebrew uh, or a, a broader subject matter in the Hebrew, whereas we very rarely think about someone being on their deathbed and gathering up their children or their grandchildren and saying, hey, uh, let me pray for you one more time. With, with my last breath, let me pray for you and laying a hand upon uh, Manassas or Ephraim and uh, passing a generational blessing on to them. <clears throat> but in the New Testament, because we know that, that uh, principles are perfected, uh, in the New Testament, the doctrine of laying on of hands encompasses both of these. Amen. Uh, and uh, so it's not just the blessing of Abraham that we're doing. And likewise, the New Testament believer was to impose spiritual blessings to those that uh, with need by the laying on of hands. Healing was to be imparted through the laying on of the hands. Let the church say amen. Physical death was overcome through the laying on of hands. Amen. Spiritual death was also overcome with the impartation of the Holy Ghost through the laying on of hands. Amen. Consequently, the seed of Abraham is still being multiplied through the laying on of hands. Now, let me quickly say, I think it, I think it was... Uh, Brother Isaac, it might have been Brother uh, uh, Mike McGurk, I'm not sure. Which one of you got, did y'all touch on the process of faith at all? Sort of, okay. 
let, let me just say, let me quickly say this, uh, is that the process of faith, and Mr. Soundman, if you want to get Romans chapter 1, verse uh, 15, 16, or try 17, uh, the, the process, faith is not a destination. Uh, Romans chapter 1, 17. Thank you. Okay. Wow. Uh, and so... What a lot of people view faith as, Brother Barr, is faith is that I'm going to have this big experience and, and, and they look at faith as being the end of something. Whereas the reality of it is, is that the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. <clears throat> and so this process of the altar, remember, uh, I, I think it was a couple of weeks ago that I was teaching that you see the process of the altar in the Old Testament of where that Noah built an altar, Brother Allen, but then as, as his descendants go along, you see that they built, they pitched their tent to the altar, and then finally they, they're living at the altar, and then, they're, and then once they're living at the altar, once they get that part of their life straight, they move into the, into the realm of dominion to where that they start naming other altars in other places. Right, not just where they're living, but they begin to set up altars in other places. That is, that is the culmination of living from faith to faith. The application of that is in our own life is that the process the process of the altar is divine fire falls on what we've placed on the altar, and that divine fire consumes everything that's not like God. God can't change. So the part of you that looks like God, when you place it on the altar, divine fire looks at that and says, well, that's God, I'm going to move on. But the part of you that doesn't look like God, when that goes on the altar, divine fire falls and it's consumed. How much contact that you have with the world, that's what depends on how much of you is, is consumed. Because the more contact that you have of the world, the less heat that you're going to get off and the less fire that you're going to start and the less fire that, you, that can consume what you are. And when you get enough of the world in contact with you, you don't create fire, you create rust. It's the exact same process. So here it is that faith is a process, faith that we live from faith to faith, right? The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. And the way that happens is, is that when we are moving in our spiritual growth, we're going from the, the spiritual growth of good, the spiritual growth of acceptable, the spiritual growth phase of perfection that's found in Romans chapter 2 and verses 1 through 2, then what you find is, is that at the end of that, when, you, when, you, when God comes to you and begins to deal with something that is evil in your life, let's just say with it's sin or weight, and you put that on the altar and divine fire falls down and consumes that. Well, that's a point of faith to where that you know that the next time that something comes up, God says, hey, this is out of bounds. It was in bounds when you, weren't, when, when you were a little kid and you were doing milk. But now that, you, you know, now that you've grown up, it's out of bounds. Thank you, Jesus. Hopefully, David, my son, will not always be in diapers. Can I get one good? Amen. Because I don't like <laughs> a lot of things about that, and I'll just move on. <clears throat> but, but that's the way that we are when, when God comes to us, is that we, we grow the righteousness of God, our right towardness towards God, 
That's what righteousness is, is that we are, we are in right standing with God. Our right standing with God is revealed from faith to faith to where that when we begin to grow, grow, God comes to a certain point and says, well, now you've reached this point. Now this is out of bounds. Here, here's the line. And then you've got to go put that on the altar. Praise God. And so the more that we progress, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. It's actually revealed from altar to altar. Right? Praise God. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost all of a sudden. I, I feel the spirit of revelation here. Uh, so when we, when we are working with people at an altar uh, at the front of the church or at an altar in the, uh, uh, in the pews or at an altar in Starbucks or wherever it is, when we're working with those people, you've got to understand that there are some times that, they, that all they're supposed to do is take a step of faith. That's all, that that's all that God is wanting them to do, right? And so many times we get disappointed because we have an expectation that somebody that has, that has been moved on, right, they come up, but all they, can, they can't even pray. Uh, and, but we get to a point where they, they begin to pray. They say a couple of prayers out loud, right? Well, maybe it is that that's the will of God, that that's all that God wanted them to do that time. But we leave disappointed because we, and, and not rejoicing and not thankful, not grateful, because we're wanting this big deal because we want to have, you know, well, I mean, we, everybody wants to strike, you know, the little deal on your belt, hey, I prayed through somebody the Holy Ghost, somebody got delivered, somebody. that's all about us. Whereas when you're ministering, what you're doing is you're looking at the person and understanding that, that, that there's, a, there's a destination of faith way over here, down the road. And you can't dis be disappointed back here when they're just making a small step of faith. So let me tell you one, one application right here is that anytime you are praying with someone at the altar, the very last thing that should be done is something to the effect of, hey, the Lord says that we're to give thanks in everything. And so let's just thank the Lord for what he's done here in ministering to you that you've been able to pray out loud, that you've been able to give some things to God. Let's lift our hands together right now and begin to thank God. That is the last step. We're going to talk about some other steps, but that's the very last step that should happen at every, at every altar experience. Now, hopefully, you get to the point where you say something to the effect of, hey, did you understand everything that was coming out of your mouth right then? And if they say, well, no, I didn't say, well, the Bible says that that's the Holy Ghost when you speak in an unknown tongue. And that means that you've received the presence of God, the Spirit of God inside of you. Isn't that wonderful? Let's lift our hands and thank God that he's filled you with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. <clears throat> so that's, that, is, that is the process of faith. But so many times we get things backed up. We get things wrong, our wrong thinking because we're viewing this process of faith as the, as the end destination. And if they don't make that destination at the, at the end of whatever altar experience that we're at, we leave disappointed. I think it was Brother Bray that had someone recently, I think I read in an email, that, that you had taught a Bible study to 14 years ago. 
11 years ago, whatever, a couple of years ago, right? And hadn't heard, and the, and, and hadn't heard but, but that word, that seed, that's what I'm talking about, is, is that 10 years ago, 11 years ago, there was probably an altar experience over here. That they came in and, and, and everybody left and was like, man, they didn't get the Holy Ghost, da 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 And then they leave, but the whole time, the word never returns void, is that there's faith that's going on, and then they get it, praise God, glory. And then they get into, into the presence of God again, and they reach a place, they reach an, an opportunity to where that God fills them with the Holy Ghost. We rejoice over that, right? I've come to challenge you not to only rejoice over this, but we also should be rejoicing and being thankful over this first step here. Faith, faith is not a destination. Faith is a process where we walk by faith, one step after the other. We live... From faith to faith is the righteousness of God, our right standing towards God by the number of altars that we keep. Praise God. Now, quickly, let me tell you, for those of you that are taking notes, this is the place that you, that you would want to write down. There are three reasons why people do not receive when they are at the altar. Okay? The first one is understanding, the second one is unbelief, and the third one is unforgiveness. God never responds to need. So the simplicity of the altar, of being a gifted altar worker, of being a gifted ministry, personal ministry person, is the simplicity of it is, is that it is our duty to be able to understand and identify what that need is in that person's life. Very rarely does faith ever get someone from there to an altar. <laughs> rarely. Most of the time, it's a need. A big need. A fan, a fina- help me here. A financial need. A, a, a marital need. A some, so, a some type of a need that's so big that they can't fix it. And so when they come to the altar, that, that need that's working on them, that God has put in their life to trouble them, it's our responsibility, it's our duty to be able to, 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 be able to work with them skillfully to where that they take their eye off of the need because God does not respond to need. God only responds to faith. It's our responsibility and duty to be able to take to help them take their eyes off of that need and to place their eyes on Jesus and to be able to be able to build faith. And the way that you do that is is that you begin to recount to them, we're over we overcome by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony. So if you've got an altar in your life that you've moved from one faith to the other faith, to the next faith, to the next faith, when that person with a need comes in, what you are to do is you're to be able to recount to them what has God has done in your own personal life, your testimony of what God has done. Anytime that I pray for anyone, almost always that needs healing, almost always I'm going to recount to them that when I, prior to me getting baptized, I had a polynodial cyst on my tailbone that I couldn't set down, Isaac. I, in college, I couldn't sit down. 
to, to go into a class. I couldn't set that long. When I got baptized, John, when I came up out of that water, it was about a week or two weeks when I realized, you know what? I'm setting down. Well, then I'm, you know, trying to examine my own tailbone or whatever, right? I'll leave that where it is. It's all right to laugh in church. Praise God. Well, guess what? Where there was a cyst, Brother Brown, it's gone. So when I pray for someone that needs healing, that's one of the things that I, that I recount to them is that God healed me of a polynodial. I, I was supposed to have surgery to get that done. Now all, I, now all I've got is a little spot of where that used to be. But the cyst is gone. Well, that's how you build faith in someone is that you're recounting the testimony of what God has done in your life. Talking in tongues is great. It's awesome. Praise God. But the thing about talking in tongues is nobody understands it. Nobody. You can talk in tongues till you got an accent, but whoever you're praying with ain't going to understand a word that you're saying. But faith, whenever you're speaking to them and saying, hey, God healed me of this, of, of this. God filled me with the Holy Ghost. God delivered me from alcoholism, from gambling. And God is no respecter of persons. And I believe that God's going to do that to you right now. If you believe with me, the Word of God says that where two or three are gathered together in my name, I'll ask it and God will do it. If you'll believe with me right now, lift your hands and when I lay my hands on you, God's going to do what He said He was going to do. Now you feel the faith in that? Now let's talk in tongues a little bit. Right? It's completely different. Tongues, tongues doesn't bring a, a non-believer to the place of faith. Tongues does not bring, tongues are great. I'm not, I'm not preaching against tongues. I'm preaching against you ought to pray in tongues on your personal altar a lot. You ought to pray in tongues so much that you, you know, I mean, that's just, you have to kind of shut it off, Right? But when you go to begin to pray for someone that has a need that is not in church, that doesn't have a relationship with God, your tongues are confusing. Praise God. We'll get to that a little bit. So, faith is a process. Faith is not a destination. Faith is a process. Um, at the altar, God reveals his... Uh, let, well, let me, let me define faith here right quick. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 through 6. Whew, wow, that took a lot of time. Uh, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, elders, the elders obtained a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that the things which, were, which are seen were not made okay, we're good, of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts. And by it, he, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By, by faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him. For before his translation, he had this testimony, that he pleased God. And then this is the verse, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. 
For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of, the, of them that diligently seek him. These, this is, is faith defined. That I believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Those are the two elements of faith. So the three things that cause people not to, not to receive is unbelief, right, which is the lack of faith, unforgiveness, and understanding. Understanding can, is just what you think it is. You know, you've all, we've all prayed with people before that they, they have no, especially up here in this godless place, you know, where they have no concept of God. Uh, they, that, you know, they might have stones or something in their pocket that they think they're, that are, that is God when they're coming to the altar or whatever. And so you've got to work with them to give them some understanding about who God is and, and et cetera. But the first, elephant, uh, first element of faith is, is that you've got to believe that he is. Right? Now, once you get past that, that's the easy part. Here's the hard part. That he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now, here's the really tough part. He's a rewarder of me when I diligently seek him. And the majority of people that we deal with whenever we, when, we are, when we are ministering to them is that, and they have a need, it's not that they don't believe that, the, that there's no God. And it's not that they believe that God doesn't bless other people. Amen. The problem is, is that they believe that God will not bless them. And that he will not answer them. So that's why one of, when you're working at the altar, one of the, if, you don't, if you don't memorize any other scripture, memorize this. God is no respecter of persons. And whatever he did for me, he'll do exactly that for you. So that is, that is the process of faith. That's faith defined. At the altar, God reveals himself to the unbeliever. At the altar, God reveals more of himself to the weak in faith. At the altar, faith is born. At the altar, faith is grown. At the altar, faith provides access to God. Romans chapter 5 and verse 1. So the simplicity of the matter is that ministering to people starts with identifying personal need and builds seeker faith to a level where God responds. Let me say that again for those of you that are taking notes. The simplicity of the matter is this. Ministering to people starts with identifying personal need and builds seeker faith to a level that God responds. You need it one more time? Okay. Where do you want me to start? <laughs> the, sim- <laughs> the simplicity of the matter. Ministering to people starts with identifying personal need and build seeker faith to a level where God responds. That, that is the simplicity of the matter. It's not magic. It's not complicated. It's not 10,000 steps. It's essentially getting them to a point that they believe that God is and that, that he is a rewarder of them when, he, when they diligently seek him. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 6 says this, Now, brethren, 
If I come unto you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you except I shall speak to you either by revelation or by knowledge or by prophesying or by doctrine? Now, this is uh, what I've commonly referred to as the four flows of ministry. Okay? So this is the four ways that when you are working with someone and you're ministering to them, these are the four ways whereby God would move on you and move through you to be able to help that seeker build their faith to a place that God responds. Now, uh, let me give that to you again so you can put it up. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 6. There we go. Now, what we're going to do tonight, uh, by the help of the Holy Ghost, and maybe God can roll back time here, is that we are going to uh, specifically talk about knowledge, right, and the flow of knowledge. Uh, But before we do that, I've got to take you back and talk to you about authority, okay? And And we are really, really going to knock the tops off of this. Um, Acts chapter 1, and I'm just going to skip to the chase, verse because hopefully you can get to this. Acts chapter 1, verse 1 and 8, uh, you, can, you can search this out on your own uh, at a more convenient time. Verse 7 says, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. The word power here is, is the Greek word dunamis. And it's, it's basically where we get dynamite from. Okay, So power, power uh, for the note takers is the ability to do something. Power gives you the ability to do something. So when you get the Holy Ghost, you get the ability to do something. So Matthew chapter 28 and verse uh, 18 says, Jesus said, all power is given unto me uh, in heaven and earth. Uh, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever are commanded to you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. We have, a, uh, we, we have some issues uh, every once in a while, Brother Barr, because the Greek language that the New Testament was written in, translated into English, sometimes leaves a lot to be desired. Yeah. Can I get an amen? amen. So, <clears throat> if you... Danny, we're, we're, we're you know, looking at this. You would say, well, uh, that this word power that Jesus said I'm giving to you is that that's dunamis. That's the ability to do something. But the reality of it is is that this word is exosia uh, that's in verse number uh, 8. And so this word exosia is translated authority. And Jacob, exosia is a uh, it's actually a compound word uh, and it, it basically comes from two Greek words two Greek compound words one of them is and this is this is the prefix ex 
Uh, it's the point whence motion or action proceeds. Now, all of y'all should have jumped up, had a praise break, done all kinds of... You still didn't get it, did you? <laughs> Let me try it again. Power is the ability to do something. Exosia, or authority, gives you the right or the lawful right to do something. So when Jesus said, I give you authority, I give you power, I give you authority to go and do this, when what he was saying was, was that it, it is a part of, that it is the action, it is the beginning of action. In other words, when you're authorized to do something, that is what sets you in motion. Up until, up until you actually have authority, you just have power, and you have the potential to do something. But it is only once you get authority that you have a point where you can lawfully do something. So when we talk about power, a lot of people get all mixed up when we're ministering with people that, you know, I've got, woo, I've got power, I've got the Holy Ghost. Well, power is not all you need. <laughs> you can have all the power you want, but if you have zero authority, nothing's going to move. Praise the Lord. One of the most frequent questions that I get asked in uh, behind closed doors or, you know, when people say, hey, why didn't such and such, what did you feel about X, Y, and Z, right? A lot of times my, my answer always is, I felt no authority. I felt a lot of power. Man, there was a lot of volume going on. There was, you know, all kinds of movements that you were making when you were praying with them, <coughs> but there was hardly any authority. Because authority comes from submission. And until you submit, the, the first place that you've got to submit is to the altar. Before you ever submit to spiritual covering. <laughs> well, some of y'all are looking like, oh, well, wait, wait a second. You mean I got to die? I mean, you got to die. If you're ever going to get to the place, <clears throat> if you're ever going to get to the place to where that you're going to have authority in your life, something's got to die and it's you. And if you can't get to a place with the altar to where that you, the part of you that's not God-like, can be put on the altar and divine fire fall, you'll never get to a place to where that you can truly submit to spiritual over, uh, oversight, spiritual covering, and spiritual authority, and therefore you will only ever have power. Praise the Lord. I know that's uplifting. I know you're ready to praise break on that. But that's the reality of it is, is that most people, most people walk around with power and very little authority because they don't have a personal altar in their life. Praise God. That's, that's why I, I, I think it was Brother McGurk that taught on unity uh, last Thursday. Is that right? Is that right? Yeah. Uh, and he taught on Psalms 133. I'm getting him as he's going to the 
calming room uh, that said, Psalms 133, somebody help me out. Behold, how pleasant uh, it is for, thank you, how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. Verse 2, it is like the precious ointment upon the head that ran down upon the beard, even Aaron's beard that went down to the skirts of his garments. Next verse. And the dew of Hermon, and as the dew that descended upon the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing, even life evermore. Give me verse number 2. Verse number 2 is talking about the oil that ran down Aaron's beard, and it is symbolic of power and anointing. But the law of flow is is that it all flows down. The third third verse is talking about the, the dew of Hermon, and that dew is so significant that they, call, they actually call it the night rain. And the, the mountain of Hermon is considered to be the sanctuary or uh, the mountain of the elders. And water is, is uh, symbolic of forgiveness. And this scripture is talking about that if you want unity in your life, you've got to balance out anointing with forgiveness. So every time that you get to a place of power and anointing, God is going to, I guarantee you, God is going to bring offense into your life to balance you out with water. And so that's why that most of you that grew up under my ministry and youth ministry, when you came and said, hey, Brother Mott, how's my anointing? How's this? And my first question was, I don't really care. How's your forgiveness? Because I knew that if your forgiveness wasn't coming along, you'd never, you'd never make more than just power. Because if you, don't have a, if you don't have the altar working in your life, in your personal life, over things that you're offended about, then you're not going to be able, you're not going to, be able to help people build their faith because you have no faith. Praise the Lord. So what unity is, unity is getting all of the junk out between me and God and me and you. And the way that God does that is he takes us to a point to where that we, we, we have a point of ministry, a point of giving, and something doesn't work. And then God's grace, you can, you can write this down, God's grace is, un, is his unlimited supply of what you lack to accomplish His will. And God will take you to a place that you need His grace in forgiveness to be able to move, move you from faith to faith to faith. <clears throat> and when that forgiveness begins to flow in your life, then you can truly be submitted to the man of God and the, and the authority of God, but until you've got forgiveness flowing in your life, there, no. And the reason is, is because when you're truly submitted to someone, when you're truly under spiritual authority, you know what that does? That gives them the right to tell you to do something. Matter of fact, I just feel a little bit of like puff up there. Let me just see here. Little puff up, yep. Little puff up here.
Well, somewhere. Yeah. Here's an example of authority in action. It's a pretty good set of notes. Matthew chapter 8, verse 5 says, And when Jesus was entered into Capernaum, there came unto him a centurion, beseeching him and saying, Lord, my servant lieth at home sick of the palsy, grievously tormented. And Jesus saith unto him, I will come and heal. And this, heal him. And the centurion said, answered and said, Lord, I'm not worthy that thou shouldest come under my roof. Now just hold that thought under my roof and we'll come back to that in just a second, okay? Because that's good stuff. Uh, <clears throat> that you would come under my roof, but speak the word only and my servant shall be healed for because I am a man under authority and then he tells you how he knows that he's under authority I say to this man go and he goeth I tell this man come and he comes I, to my servant I say do and he doeth when you're under spiritual authority apostolic authority works like this because it is the place that action is initiated Apostolic authority acts, works like this. Those that are in authority speak, and those that are under authority do. And until you get forgiveness working in your life and your, in, at your own personal altar, you have the proclivity as being human to, that you want to, be, uh, you want to be in authority and you want to speak. And so what happens is you start telling the pastor or your ministry leader, well, you know, have you ever thought of, of doing such and so and so? And you are out of alignment. You are out of unity with that. Now, let's talk about uh, authority. We talked about the example of authority. Exousia is the right to exercise power. Impartation is what shares the power. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 8 says, So being affectionate desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel only, but also our own souls, also everything that was us, that was uniquely us, my giftings, my callings, my anointing. I was willing to impart that or to share that with you because you were dear unto us. There are, there are a few people that are very dear unto me. I love them dearly. And, and, I, and I've shared the Word of God. I've, put, I've invested the Word of God into them. I've imparted the Word of God into them so that they can do great things. Everything, every revelation that God has ever given me, for the most part, I've passed along and imparted unto them. That's what impartation does. Power gives the ability to act, authority gives the right to act, and impartation shares that authority. Impartation is, is what causes that authority to be caught. Now, God, this, we're going to go very, very quickly here. God manifests under a covering always. Exodus chapter 25 and 18, uh, let's skip to verse 20. And the cherubim shall trip forth, Jacob, you and John come help me right up here. 
uh, and the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings, and their faces shall look one to another. So on the, on the mercy seat, on the ark, there are angels. That's the picture. You see the picture? All right. See the picture? That's what we're going to do. So on the, on the ark of the covenant, there are angels that are on top of that, cherubims. And, and the mercy seat is underneath this. Now, you guys just do that right there. What the, you're, you're, there you go. Now, their wings cover the mercy seat. God manifests himself underneath that covering. That's where God manifests himself. Thank you. What dominion is, power is the ability to do something. Authority is the lawful act to do something. Dominion is the manifestation of power. And so when God manifests himself, God always manifests himself under a covering. Now you might ask, what is a covering? I'm glad you did. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 10, boy I'm working tonight, I'm sweating. Did y'all turn the heat on? Second Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 1 Uh, Let me tell you verse 3. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. Verse 8 says, For though I should boast somewhat more of our authority, which the Lord hath given us for edification and not your destruction, I should not be ashamed. Why do we have authority? The reason that we have authority is so that we can edify. Now, Brother Isaac Middleton, edification in the Greek is a compound Greek word. Would you like to know what the compound Greek words are? I'm glad you asked. The first one is oikos. A dwelling. By implication, a family, a home, a house, a temple. Would you like to know what the second Greek word was? Doma. A roof. A housetop. Read as a covering. So when you exercise authority, what you're doing is is that you are building, you're coming into unity with the oikos, with the family of God. And what that does is that creates a covering. God, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. That creates a covering whereby God can manifest His dominion, manifest His presence, manifest His dominion, and you have the authority to, to then begin to act. Before you have a covering, there's no way you can have authority until you've got a covering. Boy, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Let me say that again. There's no way that you can have authority until you've got a covering operating in your life. Because the Old Testament principle was was that there had to be angels covering the mercy seat for God to be able to manifest himself. In the New Testament, there's got to be a man of God or a woman in God of your life that you are submitted to, to where that you have a covering over you so that you have a protection. Because I guarantee you, when you get out and you've got anointing and you've got power, you're going to get into a spot where that you go, eh, should I have done that? Eh, let me call Pastor Wright here. Hey, what do you think about so-and-so? And it might be that he says, don't ever do that again. He's very kind. He might say something like, well, let's, let, let, I, I would suggest let's not do that again. Now, if you call Bishop, Bishop's going to go, <laughs> no, don't ever do that again. <laughs> Period. Point blank. End of story. 
and then hang up on you. <laughs> he wouldn't hang up on you. He would tell you no. <laughs> Quick. <laughs> because that's what authority does. Authority sets up a covering whereby you're protected to be able to move. Without a covering, when you're moving in the Spirit, you are, you are uncovered and unprotected. And therefore, you are extremely, extremely dangerous. Let me tell you, let me just, well, I feel some of you kind of ruffling up. Let me explain that to you. Uh, get me Ezekiel chapter 28, verse, it's somewhere in here, uh, try verse uh, 14. Now, this is talking about Lucifer. And the Bible says, thou art the anointed cherub that covereth. So when you go back to Psalms 133, Brother Barr, what you'll find is, is that when that oil starts to flow down, well, here's the thing. Lucifer knows exactly what anointing feels like. He knows what it smells like. And he is, he is the anointed cherub that covereth. So when you get out of alignment of your covering, you want to know what happens? God will send you strong delusion. So much so that you would believe a lot. How is it? I, I, I asked the Lord one time. How is it that people that have been preaching the gospel all of these years that they've seen hundreds if not thousands of people receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost delivered. How is it that they can walk away from the truth and deny the truth? And the, and the Holy Ghost, God took me back to this, Brother Brown, and said what happened was there was a time in their life that they should have had forgiveness flowing. They should have had an altar flowing. said the one thing that Lucifer can't mimic or do or make you believe is that he cannot forgive. And that is why you've got to have an altar going on in your life because it distinguishes you between you and Lucifer. And if you don't have an altar and you don't have forgiveness flowing in your life, God will send you strong delusion and you won't even know that you switched coverings. Whoo, I feel revelation right now. You'll be, you'll be preaching the same gospel and won't, and won't understand that because you don't have forgiveness flowing in your life, God says, well, hold on one second. And he'll keep working and keep working, keep working. And then one day you'll figure out, I'm out of alignment. And you'll believe a lie. Praise God. I've got to move quickly. So, when we, when we are, when we are uh, is this okay? Everybody good? I'm working tonight. <laughs> uh, so, when we exercise authority, what we're doing is we are creating a covering. We're operating under that covering, but we're also creating a covering because the blessing of Abraham is, is that what is, is amplified in the New Testament of freely I have received, freely I give. Let me just submit to you real quickly that can't plummet right now, but you should be operating underneath a covering and you should also be supplying a covering. Because the law of flow, the only thing that makes the Dead Sea the Dead Sea is that there's no outflow to it. 
the mount, the, the dew that comes off of Mount Hermon is one of the four sources of the Jordan. And it descends from the northernmost part of Israel to the Dead Sea. And the only reason that, that the Dead Sea, what differentiates the Dead Sea and the Sea of Galilee, which is fed by the Jordan, is that the Dead Sea is so low that there's no outflow from it. So as the water or the forgiveness evaporates, there's nothing, all of the minerals and everything stay behind. All the junk that should be flowing out, that should be an altar. So we should have a flow in our life. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Let's lift our hands right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. All right. Man. Okay. Uh, So Matthew chapter 20 and verse 25 through 28 is very instructive on the difference between uh, authority uh, that is properly exercised and power. And what you'll find in Matthew chapter 25 and verse, or 20 and 25 is, is that uh, Jesus called, called unto them and said, you know that the princes of the Gentiles exercise dominion over them and they have great, uh, and that they that are great exercise authority upon them. But if, if, but it shall not be so among you. Sorry, my printer ink ran out and it's very difficult to read. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever shall be great among you, let him be your minister. Verse 27. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Verse 28. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life for a ransom. So what we know is, is that whenever we are exercising authority, we have the example of God that we are to minister to unto others. And when we have authority, but we are making, we are not serving other people. We're self We're using that authority to self-serve ourselves. That's when we get into trouble. That's when we we can uh, get into into problems with our covering. Praise God, boy. That's good stuff. That's good stuff. Oh, that's good stuff. Okay, um, if you are exercising God's dominion and authority in your life, you will build by serving those under you through ministry and discipleship. If you're exercising God's dominion and authority, so those under you serve you, you do so to your own destruction. Romans chapter 12 and verse 21 says, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. Let every soul be subject unto the higher powers, for there is no power but of God. The powers that be are ordained of God. Whosoever therefore resisteth the power, resistance, the ordinance of God, and they that resist shall receive to themselves damnation. Praise God. If you exercise God's dominion and authority so that 
Those under you serve you. You do so to your own destruction. Okay, profiting voices. First uh, Corinthians chapter 14 and verse 6. Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Brother Bar, can I have five minutes? Get five minutes? All right, that's ten. Can I have five? <laughs> Here we go. I'm going to make this quick. Uh, I thought I was adding. <clears throat> uh, okay, profiting voices. What shall I profit you except I shall speak to you? All right, quickly. When we minister, we make a sound. God makes a sound. Lucifer made a sound. Aaron makes a sound. And when we minister, we make a sound. Sound is a type of energy made by vibrations. Okay? And what happens is, is that whenever, whenever, whenever something moves, it moves the air around it. And the molecules of that air move other molecules and cause them to vibrate and move. And that's how sound moves through the air. That's how sound, let me say that another way, that's how sound moves through the spirit. Because we know that it's pneuma, right? So in space, where there's no air, there's no molecules, it's a vacuum, there's no sound. <clears throat> so, <clears throat> we know that, it, that it's vibration that makes everything have a sound. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 8. Now, I'm not uh, making doctrine of this. I'm just putting this out here, Brother Isaac, for your consideration. Because I'm that type of a guy. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Has anybody ever heard the voice of someone walking? Anyone? Anyone? Bueller? Bueller? Anyone? <clears throat> let, me, let me just put this out here that the, that the Hebrew word that's translated voice is also translated sound. So it could be that you could read this, that and they heard the, the sound of the Lord God walking or moving in the garden. I'm going to leave that with you. You can plumb the depth of that, okay? But in the end, I think if you study that out, I think what you'll find is that when God moves a sound is made. There is a sound made. Uh, <clears throat> Lucifer makes a sound. Ezekiel uh, chapter uh, 28, I believe it is, says that the way that he was made, his body had all of, the, all of these stones that were in his body. But then up under his wings, there were actually wind instruments. So what would happen is, is that whenever Lucifer, he was the morning star, Brother Barr, so whenever Lucifer would begin to worship or to reflect God, he would extend his wings, and the luminous light of God, because God is light, would, would hit all of those jewels and heat those jewels up. Well, the thing about air is that what makes air move is pressure. 
That's, that's why the Bible says in this life you will have tribulation or thalipsis, which is pressure. So one way or the other, God's going to get you to move. <coughs> Praise God. <coughs> but as those stones would heat up, the air would begin to move and it would move through those horned instruments. So that when Lucifer was not only reflecting the presence of God, he was also making a sound in worship to God. That's why people call him the heaven's, uh, what is it? Worship leader. Choir master, whatever. Because Lucifer made a sound. Now, let's look at Aaron. Boy, this is really good stuff. <laughs> uh, okay, Aaron, Exodus chapter 28, verse 31. And thou shalt make the robe of the ephod all of blue, and there shall be a hole in the top of it, in the midst thereof. So his robe, there was a hole in it that went down. <clears throat> and it shall have a binding of woven work round about the, the top of it, uh, up, round about the hole of it, and as it, the hole of a harbigern, I didn't pronounce that right, but we're moving on. That it be not rent. And beneath upon the hem of it shall be make, make pomegranates of blue and of purple and of scarlet. Round about the hem thereof, the bells of gold between them round about, a golden bell and a pomegranate, a golden bell and a pomegranate. And upon the hem of the robe round about, it shall be upon Aaron to minister. And his sound shall be heard when he goeth into the holy place. His sound shall be heard when he's moving, when he's ministering. <coughs> and what that sound was, was the symbol or the, or the bell ringing off of that pomegranate on the hem of his garment so that when he, when he walked, the way that this ran around it was, was bell, fruit, bell, fruit, so that when he walked, Jacob, the bell struck off the, per, the pomegranate. So when he moved, he made a very distinct sound. And, and in this, if you just follow this out, i got to skip it now. But the, but the scripture where it says that we don't want to be a tinkling cymbal, if you take the fruit out of that and you go bell on the bell, it does not make the same sound as putting love in between anointing and gifting. <clears throat> So when Aaron moved, there was a distinct sound of anointing and gifting that had, to be, that had to be balanced against fruit of the Spirit, love. And if there was no love going on, if there was no forgiveness going on, he became a tinkling symbol. And so do you. Praise God. So, we have this sound that goes on. Okay, this is so good, I can't, I, I can't skip this. <laughs> Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, <clears throat> but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. This word wrestle, come here and help me, you're worship leader now, right? Let me, let, are you embarrassed yet? When, when Gabriella, she worship or watches, watch something, when, when the singing starts, she starts doing this with her arm. 
and she's bouncing up and down. Well, I've noticed something. Have have you noticed the uh, worship team whenever they start singing? They got a hand going on. Let's be honest. You've worked. You come on. She's embarrassed already, right? And if you notice, what happens is they start swaying, right? Have you seen that? Do you know that you guys sway in unison? I've traveled enough that when you watch it, that you guys start. You start doing this in unison, and you start swaying in unison. Has anybody else noticed that? Or is it, thank you, thank you, right? I'm so sorry. <laughs> Lord, help this mind to forget. <laughs> Do you know why that is? Do you know what the word wrestle means? Read it right there. A wrestling. A wrestling akin to... Apollo, Apollo, to sway, vibrate. You know how we wrestle against principalities? Do you know what's happening when that praise... Golly, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. You know what's happening when that praise team starts... You know what's happening whenever you get up the altar and you you guys start doing that? You're vibrating. You're making a sound. Woo! You're making a sound. And the Bible says that when the the devils know that there's one God and they move, they vibrate. You know what happens whenever we start dancing a little bit? Whenever we start swaying, we start vibrating. You're putting off a sound in the spirit that you're moving things. I told you it was too good to skip. Maybe you want to make a sound right now. (laughs) Hallelujah. Maybe you want to put a devil on the run. My Bible says that one can put one, but 10,000 go on the run. Hallelujah. Oh, man, doesn't that feel good? Now that you know what you're doing. I, I see some of you now. Y'all going to be like you. Ice skating up here, swaying around. And that speed skating, the way they do it, you can probably just do it like this. I mean, it's okay. You know why the Jews pray up at the wall? Because they're, vib- they're putting off a sound. <laughs> oh, okay, I got to move so fast, so fast, so fast. Okay, we make a sound. Profiting voices. Coming to the punchline here. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. But now, brethren, I come to you speaking in tongues. What will it profit you unless I speak to you either in the form of a disclosure of the truth or in that of experiential, experiential knowledge? Now, not everybody has a gifting to prophesy. Can I get one amen? Not everybody has a gift of a flow of revelation. Not everybody has a gift of flowing of teaching. But I would submit to you that almost everyone 
has an experience. So many times, Alan, I hear people, at the, one of the main questions they ask, what do I say? What's happened in your life? Because the way you overcome is by the blood of the Lamb and the word of your testimony. You want to know what to say to somebody at the altar? Give them your testimony. What's God, has done, what's God done in your life? Everybody has an experience. Everybody's got some place that you can, some altar that you can go back to that says that I was this way on this side of the altar, but when I got on the altar and God touched me and I got off, I changed. Something was different about me. Everybody's got an experience. <laughs> so, experiential knowledge. The four, sor- four sources of ministry or faith steps, we must remember that the altar is the place where more of God appears and less of man lives. Let me say that again. The altar, we have to remember that the altar is the place where more of God is seen and less of man lives. These four flows, I might, these four flows are how God helps you to identify a person's need. Because the simplicity of the matter is, is that we are, when we are ministering, all we're, the simplicity of the matter is all we're doing is identifying a person's need and building their faith to a place that God responds. These four flows of ministry help a person, will help you identify the need in someone's life. Now, let me tell you quickly that there is nothing wrong and nothing unscriptural and nothing unspiritual about asking someone. For real, radical concept. If you don't know, it's okay to ask, Brother Ian. Matter of fact, before someone, I feel you've got a corn on your big toe. It'd probably be better to ask. For the most part. And there's nothing unscriptural. There's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing unspiritual about that. I will admit to you that probably half the time I ask someone, hey, can you tell me what, 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 what would you like to pray about? It's as simple as just asking that. What can I pray with you about? Nothing wrong with that. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front, when you ask people and you don't know what the answer is, there's some crazy things that people can say to you. Somebody says something crazy, you just say, well, hold on one second. Uh, Pastor Wright? (laughs) This and right here (laughs) is a situation (laughs) that you need to go pray for. (laughs) And And here's what they said. I mean, crazy stuff. Man, I've had some... (laughs) Woo! (laughs) Devil is a lie. 
So, but there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with asking them, right? Now, let me quickly tell you that by knowledge, by perception, that inside of knowledge is perception. Knowledge, the Greek word knowledge is gnosis. <clears throat> and as a part of that, knowledge is information from experience. Knowledge of a situation is transmitted by human interaction or human capacity and experience. God brings this information to your attention through counseling sessions, care groups, or someone simply tells you the info at the altar. It is perfectly reasonable and acceptable to ask someone his or her need. The source of need identification does not add to nor diminish God answering the need. The goal is not for you to read their mail. Not the goal. The goal is for the, to help build their faith to a place that God responds. Now, uh, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Simply put, you have knowledge of a need due to human means, pulpit ministry, teaching, altar working. Knowledge is a legitimate source of, identif- of need identification to build faith for God to respond. Perception is a part of knowledge. Boy, I've got to hurry. Uh, man is three parts. Uh, give me First Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. And the very God of peace sanctify you wholly, and I pray God your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved blameless unto the coming of our Lord Jesus. You'll find that body, soul, and spirit are three separate Greek words and three separate entities uh, in, this, uh, in this passage. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12, verse uh, 13 says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing un- uh, even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit and of the joints and mar- marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and open under the eyes of him who we have uh, to do. <clears throat> so, when you talk about body, soul, and spirit, right, It is only the Word of God that can distinguish between the soul and the spirit. They are an an exact replication of each other right now in, in in this body manifest here. And only the Word of God can distinguish the two. And the only thing that distinguishes two is the thoughts and intent of the heart. The only difference between the soul and the, bo- and, and the spirit is the thought and intent of the heart. And the thought and the intent of the heart should be, I want to be more like God. And so when I, when I have that thought and intent, it makes a difference between what the spirit is and what my soul is. And so my soul changes and becomes more like God, and therefore my spirit changes and becomes more like God. So when you're working with someone, when you're praying with someone, you've got to understand that the inner man, that what you're looking on the outside of someone is the representation of what's going on internally with that person. Because what's happening in their soul will will permeate into their spirit that will permeate into their flesh. It's the trichotomy of man. Man is three parts, but you cannot distinguish those parts. What happens on the inside will eventually get to the outside, and what happens on the outside will eventually get to the inside. Because that... 
that the, the, your flesh is the veil that transmits between the two. I don't have time, just take that for what it is. So, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14 says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are of a full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I'm going to give you the punchline. The doctrine of the laying on, there is no such thing as the gift of laying on of hands. If you can find it in the Bible, instruct me. Anyone? There's the doctrine of the laying on of hands. And what that means is, is that we've come to, in church anthem, in church culture, we've come to expect that there are certain people that have a gift of laying on of hands. <laughs> show me book for that. I'll show you that there's a doctrine of laying on of hands that goes back to the Old Testament whereby they bestowed generational blessing and they bestowed the blessing of Abraham from one generation to the next. And if you've got the blessing of Abraham operating in your life, guess what? You should have the doctrine of laying hands going on in your life. The, this, this discerning of both good and evil, I don't have time to cover it right now, but the next verse is, the, is, is verse 6 talking about the doctrines of Christ. And what you'll find is the first three doctrines there are uh, repentance from dead, uh, belief that there is a God, uh, repentance and dead works. Somebody help me. Thank you. Uh, and a faith toward God. And the next one, doctrine of baptisms. <clears throat> the first three are about getting you into the kingdom. The second two, uh, a resurrection of the dead and the eternal judgment, are about what happens in the end of this time between the covenant makers and the covenant breakers. And in that, in that gap is this doctrine of the laying on of hands, which means that we are the conduit. I don't have time, I'm just going to proclaim it to you. We are the conduit whereby we get, we get people into covenant with God through the doctrine of the laying on of hands. Now let me quickly say that because we know that, this, that it is a doctrine, that it is open and accessible to everyone, then there is also this perception which is, which is part of discerning between good and evil. When you look up that word discern in the Greek, what you'll find is it, is it is the ability to perceive. We have the perception when we are, when we are not, we're, we're skilled. Now, if you're still on the bottle, if you still got milk, you might not be able to perceive the difference between good and evil. But when you get to a point that you've got uh, perfection working in your life, when you've gone from the altar to the altar, from faith to faith, and you've gone on to perfection, you have the ability to be able to discern the difference between good and evil. <clears throat> you have the ability to perceive. Let me give you an example here. Jacob, hurry, hurry, we've got to hurry. I've only got 25 minutes left. <clears throat> so give me, Hebrew, uh, give me Psalms chapter 16, verse 10. Anybody, just, we're going to pretend that Jacob is praying at the altar, right? So he's facing this, but you're going to face them. The altar's this way today. Okay. okay. 
Anybody ever seen, so I want you to close your eyes, I want you to tuck your head, don't want you to lift your hands, and I don't want you to say a word. Anybody ever seen someone pray like that? (laughs) What do you perceive is going on? No, Psalms 116, verse 10. Remember, there's three U's. Unbelief, unforgiveness, understanding. When someone won't pray out loud, I believe, therefore I've spoken. You can perceive that they've got a faith problem. I don't have to ask it. If he's not praying out loud, I don't have to ask him one single question about what's going on. I know he's got a faith problem. You okay? All right. Lowered chin, head and eyes. Psalm 3 and 1, one through 3. So lowered chin, head and eyes, lowered. Bible says, Lord, how are they increased that trouble me? Many are they that rise up against me. Many there be which say of my soul, there is no help for him in God, Selah. But thou, O Lord, art a shield for me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So when someone is in this posture, they have a lack of hope. Generally, they have unforgiveness or shame that's working in their life. It's not understanding, and they're praying out loud, but everything about them is cast down. Do you know? You know what? Do you know why that so many of us? You know, we were talking about the swaying, right? You will forgive me, won't you? Eventually. All right. But next Sunday, you know, we all going to be in. <laughs> Has any, anybody, ever, anybody ever prayed for somebody like this? You have. Do you know why you do that? Okay. All right. Good. Good. Because these shoulders here are the place that we bear burdens. And because the Holy Ghost is working in you, when you come along and you come beside someone and you're not praying for authority, you're praying to help bear that burden. We do it We do it naturally. You do it without thought because it's the Holy Ghost in you that this is your brother that I'm going to come along and I'm going to pray for him and help bear that burden. You do it without thought, but the, but the Bible says that that's where the burden rests is on the shoulders. So when you see this posture, head down, <clears throat> there's no hope. Psalm chapter 12, uh, 121 and uh, 1 through 2. I will lift up my eyes under the hills from whence cometh my help. So when a person has their eyes open, but they're down praying like that, they are not hopeless because the eye is the gateway to the soul. They're not hopeless. They're helpless. They feel helpless. They feel like that there's nothing that they can do to be able to, to, be able to get out of that. They, 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 when someone's eyes are open but they're cast down, they need someone. They need an oikos. They need a brother. They need a helping hand to be able to get them to lift up. Hey, it's going to be okay. 
God, and, and the way that you pray for them is, there was a time in my life when I felt completely helpless, et cetera, et cetera. But God intervened, and God did such and so for me. And God's no respecter of persons, and I believe God's going to help you out of this situation. If you believe that with me right now, I want you to lift your hands toward heaven and just surrender to God. And then you begin to pray. All right? Lowered hands. Uh, Psalm chapter uh, 141 and 2. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as an incense and the lifting of my hands as the evening sacrifice. If you see someone and they, they will not lift their hands, they will not surrender. They will not get on the altar. That's why when you, a lot of you that, that I've pray, helped pray people through, that's the one thing that I, that I do or say to someone is, is that when you feel God, when you're ready to release that burden, I want you to lift your hands toward heaven. And what the Bible says is that you're lifting your burden. You're, you're putting everything toward God. You're surrendering. And I'm going to lay my hands on you and God's going God's to do X and Y. So the lifting of the hands, when you see someone and their hands are down, you can perceive. You don't have to ask them anything. You can perceive that they're not sacrificing, they're not submitting, they're not yielding. And so then you want to build their faith of that there was a time in my life, Brother Barr, that I wouldn't yield. I, would, I wouldn't sacrifice. I wouldn't do X, Y, Z. But God got me to a point where that I did that, and he helped me. And he's no respecter of persons, and I know that he'll do that for you. Uh, anybody ever seen, okay, here's, here's a good one. Okay. All right. Just start, you know, doing a little shaking there. Anybody ever seen someone at the altar there shaking? A little more than that. Come on. Oh, a little bit. <laughs> has any, I tell you what, has anyone ever baptized someone and they came up out of the, came up out of the water and they were just shaking? Get me Jeremiah chapter five and verse 22. Brother, you ever wondered what, what's going on whenever they come up out of the water and they're like, man, that water's so cold. Did you know that's what happening is, is that the inner man has just had its first interaction with the fear of God. And what, golly, and what you're seeing is the manifestation of the, of the, of the outward man, of the flesh coming into knowledge in the beginning of the fear of the Lord. It's not that there's some special water there. What it is is that, is, that not, is that the fear of the Lord has gotten on that person. And when you see someone praying, you ever see somebody praying and they can't, they're doing that with their hand, that's a manifestation of the fear of the Lord. Because that's the outward appearance of, of the natural man that what is happening on the inside. Thank you, brother. We, we can stop there. I'll, there's probably four or five different uh, additional things that I can tell you to be able to take you to Scripture to where that you can understand that whenever you perceive, whenever you see someone at the altar, whenever you come up, these altars are open or whatever it is, you, you get right, you turn around, somebody is sitting there and they're, they're praying at the altar, you can look at them and be able to perceive by the Word of God this is, not, this is not reading someone. This is knowing the Word of God and applying the Word of God to what you see in someone knowing that it is the outward man that is a physical representative. The Bible says that the Lord looks on the inner man. But who looks on the outer man? Man. Man looks on the outer man. So when we, what we do is that we perceive 
through knowledge, we perceive through our maturity in in spiritual because we no longer need milk. We've got strong milk, so I, I have the ability to discern between good and evil, and I have the ability to discern between altar and altar, and faith and faith, because there was a time that the fear of the Lord first got on me. There was a time that I didn't really want to pray out loud. There was a time that the fear of the Lord got on you. And because you have this experiential knowledge, that gives you the ability, it gives you the power, and you have the authority under this man's covering to be able to step into that and exercise authority by speaking that word of faith. Faith is, is, is always spoken. The gift of faith, there is no such thing as a gift of laying on of hands, but there is the gift of faith which is spoken. And you bring that person to a place that they're ready to receive what God is going to do. Please understand, it might not be the destination. It might not be the destination. Don't try to, don't try to get everyone to the destination. Just try to get them to the next step of faith. Stand if you would. Thank you for your patience. Let's lift our hands right now. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness. Pastor, come and give them hope. Thank you, Lord, for your word. God, I pray right now that this word would take root in every heart and every mind. In the name of Jesus, for the benefit of your kingdom, for the benefit of your people, In the name of Jesus.